You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Joining me in the studio now is Cynthia Leachmore. She's an enrolled agent, and this is these are the tax professionals who can actually get behind you if the IRS uh, t- comes after you. Thank you for joining me, Cynthia. Good evening, Rick. So, uh, Cynthia, there's a we've got a, a lot to cover here, and. and First off, let's just talk a little bit about, um, you know, every year we hear about the changes in the tax law. Um, This year, it's still changing, isn't it? It just never stops, does it? Uh, As of, let me see, it was just a couple of days ago, the Senate uh, passed the uh, um, American Workers' State and Business Relief Act, uh, which is the HR, the, the House Representatives Bill 4213. And what it essentially will do after it goes back to the House for some reworking is to extend unemployment benefits and COBRA subsidies and then also uh, allow a reinstatement of some uh, tax breaks that were set to expire at the end of 2010. Um, such as, let's see. Nothing. The teacher, the, the $250 teacher tax deduction, um, an additional standard deduction for real property taxes. People who do not itemize, if they pay property tax, uh, they are allowed a um, an additional standard deduction for up to a thousand dollars if it's a joint return, five hundred if they're single. Um, also, if you don't pay enough state tax through withholding or estimated tax payments, uh, you're allowed to deduct your sales tax that you pay. And that was set to expire, but it will continue forward. And the qualified tuition deduction, that too is set to expire. We have a number of tuition credits on the books, but the deduction... Um, um, which comes right off the front page of the tax return and lowers your taxable income uh, will be reinstated. So we've got a lot, a lot in flux, and we do, uh, and, and a, a lot that's gonna that we can still look to. Um, you know, you're you're an enrolled agent, so this is not this is something a little bit different than other tax professionals. So tell us what that means to us. I am licensed by the federal government to prepare income taxes and represent taxpayers before all phases of um, the IRS except in tax court. I'm not an attorney. Uh, I also can represent taxpayers before the Franchise Tax Board and the State Board of Equalization, uh, which is responsible for collecting sales tax. And I prepare all types of tax returns and do tax planning for people um, year-round. So this is this is really interesting because this means that you know you you can if something goes awry you can the, an enrolled agent is something different than somebody who just says they do taxes. Yes, I'm allowed to represent uh, taxpayers so that they do not have to talk to the IRS. No interface with the IRS. Um, I can be their front person. All I, hail! <laughs> Thank right. you very much. <laughs> Already, I'm feeling better about oh, it because. Thanks. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is ever talk to the IRS. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, uh, about um, 
this current, you know, in our current economy, a lot of people are finding themselves in this kind of a mode of transition. To they might find themselves leaving corporate jobs, starting businesses. This is not a bad time to start a business. I mean, things can't go much get much worse at this point. So, <laughs> if you're starting out, this might not be a bad time to to do so. So, talk about the different kind of businesses that people can start. Um, you know, there's different business entities and just give us a kind of a a brief overview of what most people are going to do because you've got people who are, you know, used to do something for a corporation and now they can take that talent out and act as a hired gun and work for themselves and, and all the joy that that brings. And it does bring joy. I've been self-employed all of my life and I just can't imagine working for anybody else except for me. So uh, most businesses will be sole proprietorships and a sole proprietorship means that you have no legal liability protection outside of any insurance coverage that you have from any of your actions in your business. You also file a Schedule C with your 1040 tax return. All of your business uh, activity is reported on your personal tax return. Um, You're responsible for paying self-employment tax, which is the real stickler in being self-employed. If you've been an employee before, you'll know when you get your paycheck that uh, you have Social Security and Medicare taken out and your federal and state withholding. When you're self-employed, nobody is doing any withholding except for you. And in addition to the um, employees portion of the Social Security and Medicare tax, which is 7.65% combined right now, you get the privilege of paying uh, paying that again, another half. So it's 15.3% tax that you have to pay out on your net income from self-employment. When you worked for somebody as an employee, the employer paid the other half, so this is why they call it self-employment tax. It's 7.65 plus 7.65. The next, if uh, sole proprietors are really only one person, there are exceptions that husbands and wives can have a sole proprietorship and split it down the middle so that they file, mm-hmm. in essence, two Schedule Cs with a 50-50 cut on all of the activity. But most people, if you're not a spouse working with your other spouse, and then you're going to be in a partnership. So unrelated people, more than one person in a business uh, engaged in activity for a profit is, by definition, a partnership. Um, A partnership without any limited liability, just your regular general partnership, is just like a sole proprietorship as it has no limited liability coverage. And the partners who are working in the business will pay self-employment tax on all of their earnings. Um, The next level would be, we'll take the partnership and go up one, that you want to put a layer of uh, liability protection on of that on top of that, and that's called becoming an LLC. That is a limited liability company, not limited liability corporation, as many people mistakenly call it. And an LLC um, files with the Secretary of State. Uh, you need to go to an attorney to set up an LLC. I don't re- recommend using anything like LegalZoom unless you really know what you're doing and you take it to an attorney afterwards to see that you've done it correctly. Mm-hmm. But with a limited liability company, you supposedly have liability. Many professions, though, in California aren't allowed to be LLCs. And if they are licensed by the state of California, for instance, if they're realtors or uh, let's see, um, the cosmetologist, uh, if you ha- hold a state license, you cannot be in an LLC. Now, let's ratchet it back a little bit. So the sole proprietorships, this is like somebody who spent 
20 years in the IT trenches. Now he's hiring himself out maybe as a hired gun, a code writer to write code for somebody. Right. Or, or somebody who's a, a graphic designer and, and goes out and works on, you know, contract work. This is the appropriate choice for them. Is that correct? Or Probably. It could be. Um, the next level would be to go to a corporate level, mm-hmm. and um, there are two types of corporations for well, for the purposes of tonight, anyway. Um, there would be the C corporation, which is a taxable corporation. It's the one that is quote unquote taxed twice, which means that after all of the business activity is finished, the corporation pays uh, tax both to federal and state, and then any money taken out um, as dividends is also taxed again to the recipient. People who choose to not be C corporations can make an an election to be an S corporation, and an S corporation is one where the income passes through. You still file a corporate return, but uh, all of the income is taxed only at one level, and that is at the shareholder level. Uh, Many consultants, which is what you were alluding to, people Mm -hmm. who leave IT businesses, many consultants choose to become S-corporations. Oh, really? And the reason that they do is many of the larger businesses do not want to bring them back as anything but an entity. They're afraid that they'll get in trouble with the employment law by having somebody come back as an independent contractor who is really functionally an employee. Mm, So mm -hmm. if uh, by having them become S-corporations, they seem to avoid that, that problem. So this seems like a, a if you're setting yourself out in business, it seems like before you do anything, we want to talk to somebody like yourself or and or a lawyer to get an idea of what our options are and where we can make our best choices. That's true. Uh, having the uh, limited liability protection gives you limited liability, but not always. So uh, um, entities. People who are forming entities for liability reasons definitely need to talk to an attorney first before uh, they make that choice because they may not actually have limited liability. Mm. For instance, as an enrolled agent, I have a tax practice with my husband in, in, in SoCal. And we're an S corporation, so we are a limited liability kind of company. But we have no liability protection from making a mistake on somebody's tax return. Um, we have to carry errors in emission, emissions insurance. So incorporating for a reason to protect us from anything besides somebody slipping and falling in our office, it's not going to give us any other protection besides mm. that. But then there are tax reasons to incorporate or to become LLCs or partnerships, and that's where you would probably want to start with a tax practitioner to figure out if, if what, what entity is going to be best for that, uh, for your business. Let's talk about some of these things that that come up. Um, The self-employment tax. This is something that seems uh, very, very easy to trip up over. How how do we prepare for that? How how do we make sure that we don't like shoot ourselves in the foot? That's a that's a very good question. I find in my business that most of the representation I do for people that are in trouble with the IRS stems from having self-employment tax liabilities. Um, Number one, because there wasn't any withholding done during the year and they didn't pay out estimated taxes. And number two, because the tax can just add up so quickly. Sometimes it takes a couple of years for a business to get off the ground. And um, the, the first couple of years have losses or very low income. But when you start really making your first good year of income, it can your your tax liability into the double digits or triple digits. So what you need wow. to do, yes, <laughs> is if you know that you're starting to make a profit and you haven't 
looked at your tax liability before this may be your first year, you definitely want to probably speak with a professional or uh, do some checking online to find out where you land in in with your tax liability. You're required when you're self-employed to prepay your taxes quarterly if you know that you're going to have a liability by the end of the year that's not covered by other withholding from another job that you might have or from a job that your spouse might have. Uh, the quarterly taxes are due not in true quarters. They're due on April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th for the feds. But California has a little game it's playing right now, and they are actually front-loading your tax money, uh, robbing it from 2011 to help pay for 2010. And the way California wants to have you pay your tax is uh, 40% in April, 40% June, and 20% in January of the following year. No payments in September. This sounds like... The, the, this oh, is I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take that back. <laughs> Shame on me. It's 35, 35, and 30. It sounds like a, a, a classic case of uh, a bar, stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Yes, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. It's, it, it is. Uh, um, you know... When we're making money through our business, um, a lot of money might come in and some of it might be income and some of it might not be income. So how do we understand and, and give us an idea also just how to deal with it on a daily basis um, of understanding what is actual business income and what is just the money that's kind of going through that is not income, what what the IRS cares about and what they don't? <laughs> The IRS cares about everything. <laughs> um, but uh, income from a business is anything, any compensation you get, either with cash or through trades, for services or uh, sales of, of items that you provide. So most people know that if you, you, you do some work for somebody and they pay you, that's income. But if you trade with somebody, for services, that's also income. And the IRS expects you to report that on your tax return as if you received cash. Mm. So if uh, I if you do work for me and I do computer work for you, then we have to uh, estimate our amounts of how much we would have charged one another and put that in as income. That's correct. It's the fair market value of the services. It's what you both agree is fair back and forth. Well, that sounds uh, fairly complicated. Do you... Um, are, are, are there places where we can like download spreadsheets or something or, or how, how do people typically keep track of these kind of expenses? Well, the easy way is uh, to buy some easy program like Quicken or get QuickBooks and become somewhat proficient in doing the data entry. Hire a bookkeeper. I'm a big fan of excellent bookkeepers. There's several in, in the Santa Cruz area. Um, you can also keep it by hand. I have a number of clients that do hand spreadsheets. They use Excel. Uh, just something, do something, <laughs> anything <laughs> to keep your business income separate and then your business expenses by category separate uh, because it'll become much easier at tax time to figure out, you know, to, to, to prepare the tax return a lot less expensive for tax prep. And it will be much easier for you during the year to figure out how profitable you are um, at that point so that if you need to send some money in or put money aside for your taxes, you have some idea of what that would be. 
I think the idea here, what we're working towards, is so that when when the new year rolls around and all our W-2s come in, what we're hoping to not do is experience this kind of paralyzing anxiety that we look at that and think, oh my God, it's a black hole from hell. I'm going to be sucked into it and I don't even want to deal with it. And so then we come to the point of April 14th where we go, oh my gosh, I am in trouble now. And one of the things I like is that about what you're talking about is that if we prepare during the year and do our work during the year, it's a little, it's a lot less anxiety at this time, and also it's a lot cheaper for us. That's right, and also it 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 makes you a better business person if you mm-hmm. keep track of your income and expenses throughout the year because you don't know if you're making good business decisions decisions or not. So many people get so busy, and I know how that is. And the only time I ever pay bills late, if I do, I've got pretty good FICO score, but is during tax season because all I do is work. It's, it's every single day, and so I really do understand what it's like to need to operate your business and also need to stay on top of your personal responsibilities. Um, anything that you can do to make it easier. Uh, years ago, I was a liquidator, and the way, and I was on the road almost all the time. And the way I kept track of my books was to p- put a big manila envelope in my car and throw all my receipts in. And then once a month, I'd take everything out, separate it by category. This is in the era before computers in the Stone Age. And I would write on the outside of that envelope all of my income and all of my expenses by category. So at the end of the year, I had 12 things to add up and then I was ready. Um, so it was very rudimentary, but it, it accomplished what I needed to accomplish. That's uh, that's very interesting. Now, um, you talked about categories. Oh, why don't you, let's talk a little bit about what what qualifies as, as an expense? Uh, um, so, I, I does, will my will my fabulous dinner tonight on the way home of you know filet mignon at Bittersweet Bistro is that going to like qualify as a, as a business expense? Only if you take me out. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so f- uh, for an expense to qualify, uh, it has to be meet three tests. It has to be ordinary to your business, necessary, and reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, ordinary would be, well, I'll use my business as an example. Uh, I spend thousands of dollars each year for continuing education that I'm required to have and for books and software um, that most of the software, particularly the tax program, have to replace every year. Those things are ordinary in my course of business. Um, I also... Uh, not everybody in my business has employees, but my business has grown to the point where I have to have several people working with me during tax season, and so having an employees becomes a necessary expense. Um, an expense that would be reasonable would be that it's uh, I make a pretty good income, so if I take my clients out to lunch or dinner occasionally, that is certainly... Um, certainly reasonable within the scope of what I do. But if I buy Super Bowl tickets for somebody who I file a 1040 EZ for and pays me $100, that's not reasonable. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you have to meet those three tests. You also, for the items that you're deducting for which you don't necessarily get receipts, and by the way, you need to keep every single receipt that you have, um, and you need to keep them for at least five years, um, but anyway, uh, my burgeoning file drawers testify to the five-year limit. <laughs> that's right. Well, they should really be kept for seven, but for mm-hmm. at least five for for IRS filing purposes. But um, you also need to keep logbooks of items that you don't necessarily have a receipt for everything, and that would be in particular for your auto use. Um, the 
almost any audit that I see will ask if somebody has a car use on the tax return as an expense, they will ask for proof of the miles, which requires a log. And if you don't write down your miles every day for when you drive as you do it, which means it's contemporaneous the day that you do it, the IRS does have the right to say, sorry, you can't take that as a tax deduction. And we've had some pretty generous um, auto mileage rates over the last few years uh, for 2009 it was 55 and a half cents a mile for 2010 it's 50 and a half cents a mile and people who drive cars that e use a lot of gasoline or are old and have a lot of repairs also have an option to take all of their car expense but they still have to keep track of all of their miles because it's proportionate to your business and personal use so without the logbook, you, you're really hosed. And for people who drive a lot in the business, I, I have one return I was working on tonight, and the auto use was almost $10,000 for the year, and it was qualified. And that's a very, very big tax deduction. If you're in the 25% bracket for the feds in the 9.3 for state, we'll just call it uh, 9.55 now, we'll call it uh, 35% and you add 15% self-employment tax on top of that for your profit, that's 50% tax that you're paying on, on the profit on your business. And to lose a $10,000 tax deduction because you failed to keep a log will cost you $5,000. It sounds like uh, one of the theme themes I'm getting here is that we want to do this on a day-by-day -day basis. We want to keep track of our income on a day-by-day -day basis. We want to write down our expenses on a day-by-day -day basis. We want to file away all the evidence of these things on a day-by-day -day basis, and then we do not experience the paralyzing anxiety attack at this point in the proceedings. Well, yes, that is what we want to do. In reality, most people don't do that, and it's it's that can be a little cumbersome. I'd say that you should at least keep your mileage log uh, to be completely safe and keep track of all of your receipts and maybe once a week or at the very least once a month mm -hmm. sit down and get them categorized. Just don't lose them. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, um, some of the, 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 the flags, you know, the things that, that the IRS is going to like just you know, charge like a bull at. What, what would those things be that we want to make sure we have nailed down and very nicely, neatly de denoted? Well, next to the auto, which is, I think, the single most audited category um, that I know of, you'd want to keep track of your meals and entertainment. That would be, that would play a very close second to being audited, especially if you are in a kind of business where you need to take people out on a regular basis. And so your meals and entertainment expense is going to be higher than uh, out of proportion to most people um, in the United States. So with meals and entertainment, you only get a 50% tax deduction to begin with on your actual expenditure. And if you want to get that, you have to also keep a journal of, uh, of your going out and what it was for. There are two types of meals. When I teach my classes, I try to call the ones that where you do lunch with people or do dinner. I like to call that entertainment. And I like to call meals the um, what you eat when you're away from home overnight on business, when you're actually doing business travel. So... Uh, the ones for their, their strictly entertainment, or if you take somebody out to the movies or you go to a football game uh, or you throw a party, you need to have a business purpose for it. And you need to have in your log who you were entertaining or you went out to eat with, um, what the business purpose was. It could be goodwill. 
Uh, it could be that you're discussing um, doing business together. Uh, you have to have an expectation of a business benefit. If you're discussing doing business together and it doesn't pan out, you can still deduct it because there was that expectation. Um, you have to put a little bit in if you were having a discussion as to what you were talking about. But the name and who you were eating with is very, very important. The IRS actually reserves the right to call these people if they wish in an audit. I haven't seen it happen out of my office, but I've heard that they can do this. Uh, so you do want to make sure that you have the name um, available. The uh, what, where, when, why, or the, the most of the other information would be on the receipt, how much you spent, where you were, and uh, what, the, what the actual expense was, um, and the date. Now, um, we're going to have to wrap this up pretty soon, but I do want to talk about something I think that's becoming more and more common is home offices. A lot of people are telecommuting. A lot of people are working at home, you know, bringing contractors at home. Computers make this all a lot easier. And so how much, how do we write off our home offices or how, how does that work? With a home office, uh, the rule is that you have to use the space that you've set aside exclusively and regularly for business. It must have an exclusive use. So even if you don't have, um, in Santa Cruz, real estate is so terribly expensive, many people don't have bonus rooms to dedicate a whole room to, to their business. So as long as you carve out a space and mark it and take the square footage of that space um, against the rest of your house, you can take, um, you can set that as your home office. It allows you to deduct all of your miles and not call them a commute. Um, it allows you to take a proportion of your rent or your mortgage interest property tax, some of your utilities, the house insurance, etc. cetera. Uh, as long as you don't have another place for your business, like I own SoCal Tax with my husband, um, so I don't have a home office. But as long as you don't have another regular place for your business, you're allowed to have a home office if you meet the exclusive use rules. Now, um, uh, we're, I wanted to talk about your uh, workshops. There are, the IRS, in in their grand generosity, when when they're when they're not uh, stealing from widows and orphans, they're, they're <laughs> and pulling the food from our mouths before we can eat it. They're presenting free business workshops. Ta tell us about those and when when they're coming up. Okay, the, um, uh, we have two workshops coming up, or I have two workshops coming up, excuse me, in May. I also have two coming up in September. Uh, the first one is on May 10th, and that is a sole proprietor workshop. It's everything you wanted to know about business, um, how to start it, all the records to keep, how to avoid an audit. And it's four hours. It's at the Santa Cruz Public Library. This is free. Um, I'll be teaching it, and it's um, on May 10th, which is a Monday from 2 to 6. The following week on May 17th, Pamela Matisson, an attorney with uh, the law offices of Beck and Matisson, and I will both be teaching choices of entity where we spend four hours talking about what entity should you be, sole proprietorship, LLC partnership, uh, S-Corp, C-Corp, personal service corporation. And that will also be held at the main branch library on Church Street from 2 to 6, which is a Monday on the 17th. And both of these classes are taught upstairs. I've been speaking with Cynthia Leachmore. She's an enrolled agent, a tax professional who can help you and stand between you and the IRS. What more can you ask for? Thank you for joining me, Cynthia. Oh, thank you so much.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.